0: This is the epilogue Audio Experience. You know, it's just not about getting bored, Naga. It's about doing something interesting and feeling engaged, not just with life, but also with society, feeling like you're contributing something. We are quite disconnected from what I call other India. I also feel that we are increasingly disconnected from lessons of history, you see, because the way, especially these days, history is being rewritten for a political purpose. Hello and welcome to the Passion People podcast.
1: You're listening to season two, episode 23. The Passion People podcast chronicles stories of people who follow their passion and make it manifest in tangible ways. So you can get inspired and get one step closer to what you're passionate about. In today's episode, we are in conversation with Sudeep Chakravarti, who is a renowned author and has written several best-selling works of narrative non-fiction. His latest book is Plassey and it was published in January 2020. During our conversation today, we dive into Sudeep's journey of being a journalist and how he transitioned into being a historian and then a writer. And now he writes both fiction as well as non-fictional works. We talk about the importance of a distraction when your passion becomes your main job. Now, Sudeep finds moments of calm in his outdoor activities and he is also a very keen marine conservationist. My favorite part about the conversation was the importance of history and how history is being molded by people of power in order to create the narrative that they want to pedal at that point of time, if the events that are unfolding around you over the last couple of months in India are of concern for you, if you hated history in school like I did, or if you're just plain curious about what the big deal about history is, you will love this episode. Hi Sudeep, uh, hello and welcome to the Passion People Podcast. Naga, good to be here. When I asked Sudeep about his journey, this is what he had to say
0: well that's a uh, it's a tricky journey so i wouldn't want i don't know if people would necessarily want to emulate my journey because it's been a very interesting one uh, where to begin because i began my career as a journalist many many years ago and as a business journalist actually and after studying history in university So there you go, one factor that is a a bit of a non-conformist factor, uh, taking up business journalism with the Asian Wall Street Journal straight after studying history as an undergraduate student. And then um, several years in Indian media after working for an American newspaper uh, with a magazine called Sunday, then I joined India Today as a business editor when liberalization began in '91. And then I journeyed through the magazine uh, to be an executive editor with the India Today Group and consulting with Hindustan Times and various other magazines and newspapers. And then one fine day, I just decided that I didn't like media the way it was. I just went, uh, I just uh, told my family that, uh, do you mind if I check out of this life and take on a new life for as a sabbatical? And uh, we decided on moving to Goa, where I thought, that i would lead a life as an independent writer an independent researcher and tell stories that i think that indian media was not telling often enough or not telling at all which i hope to talk about a little later uh, in 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 our conversation and uh, i began my life uh, in 2004 in goa as um, as a researcher, as, a, as, a, as an independent media person. And then I started to write books. What began as a one-year sabbatical is now my life. That, that's quite the sabbatical that you're having. <laughs> Indeed. And I'm ready for another sabbatical. I'm now ready for a sabbatical <laughs> from a sabbatical. Now I want to uh, teach. I want to teach at school. I want to teach at universities. I want to do more marine conservation, which is an area which, is, which I'm very passionate about. So, I mean, you call this the Passion People Podcast. I think you'll run out of my list of passions, uh, Naga, by the end by the time we're done.
1: I can uh, I can totally relate to that, uh, Sudeep. So I'm I'm extremely excited to know more about how all of this came about because I'm also someone who gets bored very easily. I'm always looking for a new challenge, and I'm always looking to do something different. and uh, I, I, think, I, I think that way we're kindred spirits.
0: Indeed. Uh, I mean, I- indeed, I, I think uh, that's, that's fair to say. But, you know, it's just not about getting bored, Naga. It's about doing something interesting and feeling engaged, not just with life, but also with society, feeling like you're contributing something. For instance, when I decided to leave media at the top of my game, as the Americans say it, people told me that I was foolish. And some other people told me that I was brave. So I think I was a bit of foolish and a bit of brave to to leave uh, my profession when I was at, at at the peak, you know, in a way, and start afresh. But I did so, um, Naga, because I, I thought there were various aspects of India that were not being addressed in general. For instance, I mean, all of us are so caught up in our lives in something that I like to call mall stupor, which by which I mean, especially urban Indians, we are so caught up that we are completely disconnected with the rest of the country, the country outside of cities, for instance. So I thought that there was so much of India there, and most of the conflicts that take place in India uh, happen in that other India, if you will, which we don't pay attention to. So that is the India that I wanted to write about, which I thought media were ignoring, and also publishing was ignoring. So I started writing about the Maoist rebellion. I started writing about the fact uh, about people in northeast of India, which is one-seventh of our country's landmass, with uh, 50 to 60 million people. Now, these are vast numbers. These are vast areas which we are disconnected from. So I started writing about that. Then I started writing about human rights. I started writing uh, novels, which I was very passionate about. Um, and then, uh, me being a, a bit of a, a greedy guy, I. Uh, went back to my my early passion, which is history, uh, by writing books related to sociology and history. Writing about my people, uh, the Bengalis, uh, which is a book that got published in 2017. And then, most recently, I'm delighted to say that I've written a book on the Battle of Plassey, which is one of the key battles that we had in the subcontinent. Uh, one of the reasons why you and I are having this conversation is in, in English and not French or Marathi, is on account of the Battle of Plassey, which was won by the East India Company from Great Britain. So these are things that drive me, uh, Naga, and because there are stories that need telling. And the same way I thought that we are quite disconnected from what I call other India, I also feel that we are increasingly disconnected from lessons of history, you see, because the way, especially these days, history is being rewritten for a political purpose. I feel we need to be writing what I call corrective history, which is uh, as unbiased a history as possible, to peel away layers, to tell the truths as we see them, consider the blacks and whites and the gray areas, and bring our past to people in the present so that we know where we've come from and we are not confused, we are not misled, we are not misinformed, we are not disinformed. And this, among other things, is also what drives me.
1: Absolutely. And uh, like you mentioned, in in the current context, especially, I think having an objective view of what actually happened and having that 360 degree perspective of what is the truth and where we're deriving that truth from is, is so important, not only for history, but even for the present, right? Because we're living in a world of fake news, disinformation, propaganda. So a lot of the stuff that we are consuming or people consume could be Laced with uh, propagandist sentiments, and it's all being done to incite a particular emotion, uh, whatever extremist sentiment that they're trying to peddle at that particular point of time. I mean,
0: that is one of the reasons why I do what I do is that I need to bring the disconnected India, the misunderstood India, or the India that is misinformed or disinformed, if you will, to bring stories to the drawing rooms of India, to the boardrooms of India, to the classrooms of India, and, and bring. Not just our past, as you said, very much our present uh, through my storytelling. And I think I've been a storyteller all my life since I began as a journalist, because journalists are, in a way, conveyors of other people's stories, other people's views, other people's emotions, events that have happened. We offer a window to the world, if you will, or the window to other people's worlds, or, or from the bottom up. So from there, transitioning from being a hardcore journalist, if you will, where I would report, I would write, I would edit, and then transitioning to a writer of books, this is a great, great responsibility. And I take uh, uh, this responsibility with complete passion and uh, to the best of my ability. And after that, really, it's up to what my readers think of what I do, or my listeners think of what I do, or my viewers think of what I do. That's what it's all about. You have to put your passion on the line.
1: What were those influences that shaped you for you to be the way you are today first question and the second thing is how does being a journalist
0: work and why did you decide to leave at the time that you did childhood influences i would imagine began straight away with my parents they overcame the horrors if you will of uh, migration or of displacement because my parents have a history in what is now called what was called east bengal and is then became east pakistan and then became bangladesh so we were rooted both in the east and present-day West Bengal, and they overcame the horrors of their past to ensure for me a very liberal upbringing. They did not restrict me from reading anything. They encouraged me to read. They, uh, In fact, my birthday gifts were largely books, not things, maybe a nice meal or two, but usually five, six, seven, ten, a dozen books uh, every birthday, every, every festival. So uh, these were great influences. Then I think I just carried it through school uh, and whatever conservatism I faced in school, in day school and in boarding school, which I attended, was leavened by this great liberal outlook that my parents gave to me. And when I went to university, I was fortunate to encounter open-minded professors who encouraged me to think and not just study books and read for memory by rote and reproduce them to for sort of a pro forma examination process, by which I would score a bare minimum of marks or grades to get by, they would ask me to question, they would uh, ask me to take notes, do immense amounts of reading, and see the world, travel, talk to people, listen, learn to listen, learn to see, learn to learn to feel again travel 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 meet people the more you travel the more people you meet the more you read the more you listen the more you know and the more you want to know and i think i mean from that transitioning to my profession i mean of course like many people i didn't know what i wanted to do uh, after i graduated but i did get a job with a bank of, uh in fact with i was offered a job with uh what was then ANZ Grinlays grinley's bank uh and my family most uh, sort of fell apart when I declined the job to, to join the Asian Wall Street Journal. I mean, I was the first journalist in the family, and they didn't know how to deal with it. But I persisted, and to their credit, they persisted as well, because they figured that if I felt strongly about something, then it was their uh, sort of function as parents to to let me be, to, to be there to support me. And then a succession of interesting bosses who let you... Uh, fly, who let you learn how to fly, who teach you, and you learn from them. And that's how it all begins, Naga. I mean, you have to give credit to your environment uh, and the people who influence you. Some are very negative influences, but thank heavens for the positive influences who encourage you to fly. And you must fly. If you don't, you're grounded forever, and that's such a tragic thing. Now, when you move from that basis of life to a profession, uh, I found journalism in, enormously exciting because it brought me, I was again privileged to get a ringside view of so very many things that happened to India, uh, the effects of which we are experiencing as we speak. Uh, for instance, the economic liberalization, the effects of the Gulf War, uh, which opened up, compelled Indian, India's economy to open up. Uh, all the competition that followed, the choices that followed, the consumerism that followed, the explosion in political choice that followed along with consumerist choice. uh, Because we went from a Congress-heavy kind of polity to a multiple-party polity, which was an amazing thing. So you had choice not just in products, but you had choice also in politics. And I saw this as as a young journalist maturing in the profession. And this was an enormously uh, wonderful learning experience uh, through the uh, mid '80s to the early '90s. Then some of the bad things that happened as well, like the demolition of the Babri Masjid, which which uh, led to bloodletting, to riots, a lot of agitation um, through the reservation issues in the late uh, uh, '80s, and then the, and afterwards, which carried on through the 1990s, uh, upheaval, hope, all kinds of things, and when i left when i decided to leave in even though i was at the peak of a career if you will and i was immersed completely immersed in journalism to the extent that uh, sometimes i would come home uh, my regular day was a 10 hour day 12 hour day 14 hour day and i'm talking about print journalism i'm not even talking about television journalism at that time and then it was so exciting because i was in what is called convergence so i was one of the earliest professionals in the industry who worked Print, digital, and elements of television uh, for India Today Group. In fact, I was an editor of India's first digital newspaper, <laughs> newspapertoday.com, which is history now because it was part of the dot-com bubble, if you will. But it was these were exciting times. So why did I leave? Uh, because I felt that journalism, in the early 2000s, uh, 2001, two, three, 4, finally when I left, had taken on the the shape that journalism is practiced today. And I saw the disturbing trends right then, uh, which is that you would out to power. You became so power hungry that uh, I saw my peers, some of my friends uh, fall prey to that power hungriness that need to be uh, with polit- politicians, need to be with top businessmen, I feel the need to um, rub shoulders with, the so-called high and mighty, uh, to the extent of being so delusional that you thought that you were actually helping to run the country, when your job was actually to inform, your job was act- actually to uncover truths, your job was actually to to convey other people's views with your own, if you wish, but, but do it transparently, and also uh, do it in a way that was not corrupted. Uh, so I arrived at a crossroads, if you will, Naga, where... I had to take a decision that, is this a profession that I want to continue in? Uh, and I, I say this advisedly, I say this with full caution, because journalism is practiced still by some wonderful professionals, some strong professionals, men and women, uh, young men and young women, uh, who give their lives to the profession, who, uh, who dedicate their lives to it, who are thorough professionals, uncorrupted, upright and fearless and work with fortitude. These are fine people, but this is a rarity, a rare commodity in Indian media right now. So what what happened with me, Naga, is that I'd realized that at the position I was in, at the, at the level I was in, I, unlike today, there was no option those days to say start a blog or to, stay, uh, to, to say start, start a digital project uh, in, in, in the way that say, a scroll is doing today or a wire is doing today. So uh, I had to take a call saying, is this what I want to continue with or do I now try and do something independent? So I took an ethical, moral call, which is a very personal call. And, uh, and these are personal calls because you can't apply them to other people and you can't force them upon other people. Uh, they have to be applied to yourself first. Uh, and I took a call saying that it's time for me to move on, uh, maybe into a new way of life, into a new way of writing, into a into a writing universe in which I would decide without fear or favor uh, or without kowtowing to anybody what uh, I needed to write about. And this is the space I now inhabit, Naga.
1: I understand. The work that you were doing began not to be so aligned with the values that you followed or your value systems, I guess, right? And that that was one of the reasons why you wanted to make that transition. Absolutely.
0: I mean, it, I couldn't identify with the value systems that media had taken on at that point of time. I say this with the full realization. Uh, in fact, I would encourage people to join the media because media needs people who think uh, fearlessly and with fortitude, who feel passionately about what they're doing. Who feel like they have a story to tell. And equally, I would encourage people to take up writing. Now, neither are easy, easy vocations or easy professions because journalism takes a lot out of you. You have to, it can be very trying, uh, it can be very tense because you don't know what situation you're going to be thrown into, whether there's going to be a riot, whether there's, you're in a natural disaster, or whether you'll be out uh, in the field, as we call it, for three, four days a week, 10 days, two weeks in a row. Like subsisting on bare resources, trying to get a story out there. Uh, but that's fine, that's what you do. And to, as to write books, that is probably an even more fraught uh, vocation and profession which needs complete passion. Now, if you want to write a book, but if you do want to write books about uh, history, if you do want to write books about what you feel, your story as a short story, as a poem, as a screenplay, as, 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 a, as a play, as a as a novel as a as historical fiction as pure history as i i'm passionate about about politics about a biography uh about somebody about a biography not just about an individual but about a whole community like i've done for the bengalis and i'm happy to say that there is a now that is set of a, a chain of uh, sort of a domino effect and there is a community book that is going to come on the marathis the tamil the tamils the uh, you know the the, the Kannadigas you name it the Malayalis the Gujaratis so on and so forth. What I'm trying to say is that it's up to you what what genre of writing, uh, romantic fiction, crime thrillers, whatever you wish to pursue. It's up to you. Uh, you have to be sp- specific. You have to be clear in your mind as to what you want to do, and whether it's soft writing or whether it's hard writing. You have to nevertheless be passionate. You have to sit down uh, every day if you can, as regularly as you can, focus and get that story down on paper or, I mean, using that figuratively, sit and get that story down on your computer or your laptop or your tablet. Essentially, apply yourself to what you're doing. That is absolutely crucial to any kind of writing, uh, whether it's media writing or whether it's non media writing. And I practice both. And I also, non media writing i practice both fiction as well as non fiction i write short stories as well as novels uh, i write essays as well as uh, what uh, the young people call full on non fiction uh, in 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 many ways whether it's re- related to conflict to conflict resolution or a biography or ethnography or history everything that you do has to have absolute application you cannot cut corners your research has to be impeccable. Cannot fool people. You should not try to fool people because you can get caught out if you plagiarize. You can get caught out if your research is shoddy. It's work. Uh, it's actually application, but it, it's so much fun. If you are in a passion project, and I mean, if you are working so hard or in you know, such a dedicated way with something that you're passionate about, then you, you will realize that that obsession, that passion can be so much fun. And so again, I would say that I'm living a life that allows me to pursue my passion. And what a wonderful thing, Naga, to be able to do that. Can you walk us through
1: your creative process? Because I think you're not just focusing on one particular genre or fiction or nonfiction, but it seems like you have these uh, buffet of uh, books that you've written. So how do you how would you go about, uh, you know, maybe conceptualizing a book, publishing it? So just walk us through the entire. The complete nine yards of from going from an, having an idea for a book to actually well, I'll actually it.
0: go the whole 12, 12 yards. My I like my I like my fabric nice and long, uh, and as, yeah, <laughs> as to the as to the buffet of books, I have a hopefully a buffet of books that are yet to come because right now, uh, and it's a good thing that you ask because I'm at this point of time in, indulging in or engaged in exactly what you've uh, asked because. I have five firm ideas in my head, fiction and non-fiction, and two not quite firm ideas in my head. So I'm actually juggling right now with seven ideas, which to me are absolutely live. I'm right now juggling with it. So how do I go about it? First of all, I write a synopsis. I I crystallize my thoughts. And before I crystallize my thoughts, I need to do a little... If I have an idea through something I've read or something that I've come across through... Uh, something I've read in the newspapers or a magazine or on, seen on the internet uh, or seen in a program, a documentary. A friend has told me about it. Or it's something that I've come across during research for my previous books, which is actually how three of my current future, uh, current ideas have come about for my, uh, my past research. So then research on that. I do more homework. So homework actually doesn't begin when you start writing it homework begins even before you sit and write your synopsis your proposal because the proposal is not first for the publisher the proposal is first for yourself you have to crystallize your thoughts you have to be sure of what you're writing or what you want to do so you have to create that universe you have to you have to do your research put it down see how it works for you and then uh, you take it to a publisher uh, if you have already been published uh, it might become a little easier because you know who to reach out to. Uh, you could pitch it through an agent. There are quite a few that have come up in India now, or you could do the most risky thing, is to write directly to publishers. Could even accost publishers in literature festivals, which are so many across India right now. So I would I would recommend that you attend literature festivals to to learn how uh, to to listen to other writers. Do it methodically because it, there is a method to. The madness of writing. Uh, you'll get a response, and then you really begin to write your book. Some publishers will, will say, Okay, you know we really don't know your work, but would you like to come to us when you've written quite a lot of the book or you've written the book entirely? So it depends on where, a naga, you are or, or one is in a writer's life. Are you a published writer many times over? Are you beginning with your first book? Uh, are you beginning with your second book? Or, like me, have you, are you? Switching genres because in that case you're starting a new. So, focus is very, very important. Your storyline is very important, and it's quite likely that if your storyline is engaging and different, uh, or you sound different, or uh, could be that you're, uh, without sounding snobbish, if you are adding to a popular genre uh, like romantic fiction or historical fiction or historical nonfiction or crime or the so-called bestseller genres, which are, are doomsday books, if you will, or this grand detect, uh, this grand agent, special agent who saves India and by doing so saves the universe, feel free. But you must have a focus and you, you see what's happening around you and see what kind of story you want to tell and follow that particular aspect. There is no hard and fast rule, but essentially this is the nutshell of uh, how a writer uh, would approach a particular topic. Homework, twigging on an idea, homework, putting the idea down, honing the idea, pitching it to the publisher, and pitching, pitching, pitching till it's bit. If you feel convinced enough about your idea, begin to write it. If you think you need funding, see where you are in your place of work. Do you have a day job? Can you follow this as a passion? Therefore, can you subsidize your writing with your day job? If so then continue to write till you have a full work with you and then pitch that work to the publishers. If you think you don't, then if you think you need to reach out for a grant or reach out for some kind of bursary from an organization, then do so as well. Try and sign up for writing workshops. Try and take these literary retreats, if you will, where you meet other writers. So do everything that you can in order to take your passion forward. And there is no one solution to this route because everyone is different. Everyone's writing is different. Everyone has different ideas. So everyone has to follow it in as diverse a way as you possibly can. There is no one single route. And persistence and passion is the bottom line for writing. There is absolutely no escape from that.
1: Right. And I guess the same can be said about any, any projects that you take up, right? Because You mentioned being methodical, you mentioned being persistent, you mentioned making sure that you don't cut corners, you don't plagiarize anyone. And I guess for any creative project that you take, that one can apply these lessons. But
0: the thing is that you also have to make it fun, Naga. Because while I can be like this, it's not like that I'm shutting down the rest of my life. So I like my writerly pretensions, I love going to literature festivals. I love uh, interacting with audiences. I, love, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that through our conversation, I can re- reach out to more people. I love being fated as a writer. Uh, I love my little uh, glass of red wine, uh, pretending to be a writer, wearing a tweed jacket and suede, and, uh, uh, and suede <laughs> shoes and hobnobbing with the writers of India and writers of the world. It's a lovely, lovely fantasy, which has come true. So, you know, you must... Live the life of a writer if you can as well. You must enjoy yourself, uh, be out there. And uh, even as you do so, uh, you must follow your other passions because you must have a distraction. For me, it's martial arts and scuba diving. I'm passionate about marine conservation. I'm passionate about scuba diving. So, when I, in fact, uh, I'm going scuba diving at the end of this week to take a break so that I can come back and hone my ideas to presented to publishers by the beginning of next week. Um, I do marine conservation uh, with fellow scuba divers. Uh, We do uh, cleanups underwater. We do so many things. Uh, Every now and then I'll go to my dojo and uh, beat the hell out of the punching bag, get relieved, uh, do deep breathing, come back, and write maybe a lovely essay. So uh, you have to live life as well. Can you just elaborate a little bit about the non creative
1: things that you do that help hone your creative pursuit you you just mentioned about your martial arts and and your scuba diving can you just elaborate a little bit more on you know how how you interleave that with your
0: writing process or your creative process over everyone needs a hobby right now f- for me writing became it transformed from a hobby to a profession to something that i make a living from and something that i enjoy doing uh, very much and once this has become my life i then need a distraction i need ways to sort of generate calm if you will and for me martial arts and diving and hiking or trekking i I mean i love the outdoors walking for hours on end going to the hills going to the sea going to my dojo these generate areas of focus times of absolute focus total concentration or complete distraction because when you when you do these things you're in a zone you're in a zone completely for half an hour one hour and an hour and a half two hours and you're within yourself and you get reflective you you're immersed in this sort of uh, focus if you will and when you come out of it it's an amazing thing because your your mind is refreshed your mind is your body is pumped up calm you're focused and then you just carry on so then it seems worthwhile to shut yourself up in a room for days on end seven hours a day eight hours a day waking up at four writing away taking a break uh, doing not being able to meet people for days on end your friends thinking that you've become a prima donna without realizing that you're actually writing very hard these little areas to put yourself in touch with your own inner instincts with, and your places of calm you need focus and then the juices flow if you will i, I think writing needs a certain frenzy. I mean, you're in a bit of a frenzy when you write. So I think it's very important to come from a place of calm in order to be able to cope with the frenzy. Otherwise, you burn out. You are not able to handle it, maybe. So you need these, uh, again and again, I, I say this, you need calm, you need focus, in order to be frenzied with your writing while you write. Because, again, it's a passion project, so you need to stick with it. You can't say, I'm going to write one hour a day. Sometimes if you want to write, you, you feel like you've got it in you and you have to get it out there. Then for heaven's sake, you write from 11 to 3 in the morning if that is what you must do. And get a whacking from your boss the next morning. Suffer it for a day. Carry on. Uh, shut up and put up because this is what you like to do. So this is how it works, Naga. I mean, it, it, there is no, it, there's no grid. It is actually, writing is pretty much off the grid uh, in, in many, many ways. Right.
1: I can totally relate to that, and uh, you know, I, I love the analogy that you mentioned. That you need you need some calm to get you uh, get you away from all of the, you know, the chaos, and uh, so that that comes back and that helps you be creatively fulfilled, and that you can get back to what you're doing. I also love the part where you mentioned that writing was your passion, but now that you're doing it full time, you need <laughs> another distraction. And I guess that's a cycle that's always continuing. Uh, that's fantastic. Do you just want to talk about why history is something that really moves you and what specifically about Plassey was something that ins- inspired you to write you a know, complete book around it? Because I'll tell you my uh, relationship mm-hmm. with history and I think it's something that's evolved All over right. the last couple of years. Throughout school and my earlier years, history was... This is something that I had learned to uh, dread, right? Because I'm like, who are these guys? Why the hell should I know about these people? Because at the end of the day, you saw all of these characters in in your country's yeah. past or the world's past as people who were between you and getting full marks in social sciences or whatever it is. As as I've grown up and I've, as I've matured, I've understood that history is a a way of looking at the past because understanding the past also helps you forecast the future or figure out what is going to happen in the future. And the, the second reason that history is important is because you have a sense of perspective, you have a sense of personality, you have a sense of who you are and where you're coming from. And I I believe that that is something that you, you really need to be in tune with. Because like you said, you can be completely out of tune of what's happening in the world and be focused on your city life. But that's you're not really having like a full view of things. So I believe that understanding and learning about history and especially indian history because yeah. it's so rich and so diverse and yeah. you know, it's so vast that you know it really helps you understand why uh, why indians are or why we are the way we are and that's how my
0: understanding of history is very well put because i think a lot of us evolve in a similar way when we realize it once we leave this, leave aside the sort of peer pressure between who's got sort of uh, 80 on 100 or uh, 65 on 100 or 90 on 100 judge yourself as being historically inclined on the basis of that and if you get low marks, you are bored with history and you say who the hell cares about Ashoka or who the hell cares about Aurangzeb or who the hell cares about the battle of Plassey? Let me give you the example of Plassey. Uh, one key reason is Again, in the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned the thing about we are having this conversation in English. Uh, We could have been having this conversation in French because the Battle of Lassie, if people don't realize, was the battle that in a way set off the domino that has brought us modern India and made us in many ways who we are today. I'll explain very, very quickly. Uh, When the East India Company, the British East India Company, was competing with the French East India Company in Bengal and also in southern India, in the Carnatic. These were the two main European powers that were battling in Europe, North America, uh, in the Caribbean, and also in South Asia. They were already here for trading. And these were your early mercantile militarists, if you will, who were waging war as a way of doing business. Uh, think about that. So when... They were competing in Bengal, which was the richest province of even the crumbling Mughal Empire and it's been the richest province for many empires preceding that from the Sultanate onwards in the Mughal Empire and so on and so forth. They were fighting for control of trade and influence and through that and controlling politics so that they could in turn control the commercial aspects. And when the British East India Company, beat out uh, uh, the French East Indies Company and demolished their base in Bengal and moved north uh, to take on the Nawab of Bengal, this young gent called Siraj ud Daulah. When they did that, they just didn't—they just didn't beat the Nawab. They also, in the process, beat their key competitors in South Asia, the French. And from then, uh, took over the revenue administration of Bengal, the Diwani of Bengal. Then moved west to Awadh, took over Awadh, then moved further west to Delhi, beating the Marathas by 1803 and then controlling the later Mughal Empire. And then you have 1857, the, the mutiny or the war of independence, depending on how you want to project it. And then they bring in this permanent settlement. Uh, they bring in other sort of the, the colonial value systems. They uh, implement an administration in, to, to run an empire impose English, impose an Orientalist um, hub in Calcutta, uh, in, in Fort William, which is how the, the, the first Orientalist hub in the world. And then uh, we came to be brought up in this sort of Indic slash British manner, the sort of your classic Brown Sahib across India. And then you have uh, the birth of Indian nationalism through, ironically, the kind of educational system that the British introduced, and then you have the birth of modern Indian thinking, political thought, emancipation, emancipatory thought, struggle to free ourselves from the British, and then 1947, adopting the British system into independent India, and so on and so on and so forth, and here we are, Naga, you and I are speaking in English. Uh, As I said, we could have been speaking in French, we could have been speaking in Marathi, because the Marathas were so rampant, but Plassey, let loose a chain of events which brings us to the present day. Imagine that. Now, when you take this one battle and look at it in a, with a lens of what it signifies and what, what, what uh, led to the battle and what led from the battle, then this one battle over one day, over a few hours, takes on a whole different significance altogether. And there's so many myths around Plassey. You know, the, India lost its independence. Or Clive was uh, the grand Robert Clive was his grand person. Sirraja was a martyr. Yes, no, maybe. Both are somewhat true and both are completely untrue. So we must peel away the layers of mythology that we create. We must peel away the layers of you know history that we create for our own political conveniences because we you know it suits us. And then delve deeper, peel away the onions of peel away the onion of history, if you will peel away the layers, and then come to what you can constitute as the, the inner core of where it all began and understand history and understand truths for what it was and what it is, rather than being taken for a ride by people who presume to tell you what your history really was, which is a falsehood. So you must find the truth, and which is why Plassey, which is why many fine works of history that are being written today, which I call corrective history, and I'm damned happy that it's happening, because it's damned, it's about bloody time that it happened, Naga. I hear
1: you. Any, any particular reason that, uh, you know, I've explained to you how I look at history, right? But I'd, I'd be curious to know uh, any, any closing thoughts you might have around what, what, why you feel so strongly about history. Apart from the fact that, you know, corrective history is coming on and it's important for people to know the truth. Is there any any other thoughts that you have? Uh, uh, well, let me offer of you
0: and your uh, listeners and your, and your followers something and you yourself and even for me in reflection, something that is happening in the present day. Let's talk about how, what happened in Delhi over the Shaheen Bagh protests and the CAA, anti caa and NRC protests, incidents in Jamia Millia, In Shaheen Bagh, you name it, across the country, Kerala, in Bombay, Calcutta, Lucknow, incidents of violence in Uttar Pradesh. Naga, these were happening live, on live television, right? And it was already being distorted within minutes. It was being distorted within the half hour, within an hour, within the day, within the prime time uh, webcast or newscast in the evening. Now imagine if you can distort history that is happening in front of you and people uh, are battling to combat that distortion and misinformation and disinformation, imagine what you can do with things that happened a hundred, two hundred, five hundred or a thousand years ago. Imagine how easy it is to distort something that is even that far in the past or uh, distorting how the Indian constitution came about, Uh, dismissing B.R. Ambedkar or the fashionable thing is now to distort uh, the relationship between Jawaharlal Nehru and Vallabhai Patel and creating a fiction out of their tension, uh, so on and so forth. So imagine if history can be distorted as it happens today, as we speak, as we see, as we hear. Imagine what, uh, what history can, how history can be distorted and misrepresented for political purposes uh, when you move further back, which is why I think uh, corrective history real history, or as real a history as possible, or if I may put it, uh, sticking my neck out here, as honest a history as possible, is so crucial, uh, Naga, for all of us, and especially the Indian subcontinent, which is so diverse, in some ways fractured, and so very hopeful. We deserve real history. We deserve the truth. Absolutely. I think that's uh, really, really
1: well put if the present can be distorted then you know what what can be done for the future i've never or to be honest i've never really thought about it that way but this is a really interesting Thank perspective you. to have so sudeep as we as we conclude uh, you know i just wanted to close with uh, you know get, get your feelings on how it feels to be on the passion people podcast and if you've been on a well, podcast i have before. actually
0: been on a podcast before but how does it feel to be on a passion people podcast i i think i've been pretty passionate naga for the last 45 minutes Maybe I've sort of given free rein to my passion and maybe I've rambled a bit. But you see, this is what it's all about. You, I mean, you have to be passionate. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. So I'm delighted to be on the Passion People podcast. And thank you very much for thinking of me and giving me the opportunity to speak to you, share my thoughts and hopefully share my thoughts with your listeners uh, and more power to all of us. fantastic thanks Deep. thank you so much for being here very welcome and it's my pleasure and privilege have a nice day hey guys thanks for tuning into the show we appreciate you taking the time out for this if you like what you heard please share this with a few friends and leave a review rating on your favorite podcast. this will help more people learn about the podcast Until next time, this is Kritika from the Passion People podcast, wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Stay passionate. Cheers.